Okay, hello, and welcome to Hitting Play, the podcast where we review, analyze, discuss shows, movies, and other curiosities. The only podcast that made Dame Judi Dench herself say... Just say, I love the Hitting Play podcast. I don't you. Dame Judi. Dame, Dame Judi. I don't. Please, just say, I love the Hitting Play. It's the middle of the night. Oh, the podcast, just say you love... Dame Judi, please. Just say what? you love the podcast. I, I don't know what that means. All right, well, she almost said that she loved it. That was the most disturbing thing I have ever heard. <laughs> ever. Well, that, that, this is taking quite a morbid turn. <laughs> Very quickly went left. Yes. I was so close to getting a celebrity endorsement. We'll have to take it for now. Did you kidnap uh, her? No, 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 I just gave her a quick call. Oh, okay, well. I am Scott, your co-host and moderator for this episode. Joining me is the girl who said, uh, thanks, but no thanks to MIT, Lily. Oh, yeah. We'll see if it's one of the more, uh, smart decisions I've made in my life. <laughs> and with a new microphone, no longer joining us via satellite from the Secret Legion of Doom headquarters at the bottom of Slaughter Swamp, is yes. Sean. Thank you, yes. I'm very happy with my new, my new microphone, it's very nice. And you sound much better. So thank you for all those that put up with the last episode, and hopefully they're better and better from here on out. All right, guys, uh, today we are discussing a show that is very near and dear to my heart. It is the rarely seen cult classic, the pilot episode of the detective comedy called Look Well. Uh-huh. Uh, this would be a good time to mention to anybody listening, if you haven't seen Look Well, it is available on YouTube. So please, if you can, check it out. It's there in its entirety. All right, so this is a, a show called Look Well. It aired in uh, July 1991, I think uh, the last week of July, on NBC. It uh, was written by Conan O'Brien and Robert Smigel, and it was directed by E.W. Swackhammer. Great name. Yeah. Great name. Swackhammer. Is that really how you pronounce it? Yes. I don't think there's any other way you could pronounce it. I, I was thinking um, maybe like Swackhammer, but... <laughs> Whoa, we might have to beep that one out. Man, yes, come on. This is a clean show we're doing here. <laughs> Just looking up a little on E.W. Swaghammer, he uh, passed away at the age of 67 on December 5th, 1994. Looking back at his body of work, he, he started out directing uh, episodes of classic TV sitcoms like The Donna Reed Show, I Dream of Jeannie, Bewitched. He also did an episode of M.A.S.H. And then uh, later on, you see he really has a lot of experience directing Actual real detective shows like uh, Mod Squad, McCloud, Jake and the Fat Man was another one that he did. Boy. Murder, She Wrote, Columbo, Law and Order. They definitely got a guy with some experience. Conan O'Brien, of course. At this point, he was uh, 28 years old. He was a uh, writer on Saturday Night Live. And he submitted this with uh, Robert Smigel, who is more commonly known today as the voice of Triumph, the insult comic dog. <laughs> Perfect. I mean, yeah, just wonderful. <laughs> wonderful character there. The the two of them submitted this uh, pilot, and it got picked up, and I guess it gave Conan the confidence that he needed to leave Saturday Night Live and pursue a life on the uh, West Coast. Lorne Michaels uh, of Saturday Night Live fame is the uh, producer with uh, his company Broadway Video. Which is pretty uh, impressive. I mean, Lorne Michaels... 
has a, a huge body of work behind him um, as a producer. Of course, Saturday Night Live for its entire run, I believe. And you think of all the, the movies he's produced, especially in the, the mid to late 90s, all the Saturday Night Live spin-off type movies, you know, the Am Sandler movies he's a producer of. Really, I was very surprised to see that he was involved in the look well, not because of the, the show, but because he's such a big name. Even back in 1991, he was a big name. Yeah, and in, uh, in Lorne Michaels' uh, production company, Broadway Video, went on to uh, produce Late Night with Conan O'Brien as well. One of the things we see here, too, maybe we'll get into it, maybe you have it in your notes. This pilot was not picked up, but it was a personal favorite of the NBC chairman at the time. Is it Brandon Tarkov? Tartikoff, yeah. Tartikoff, excuse me, which is a real shame. And I was going to, the first thing I thought when, after I watched this was what a shame that they couldn't just let this show go for a season. Give it 15, 16 episodes. Yeah. Give it a chance. Conan was later quoted saying that it's a good thing that it didn't get picked up because that was all the material that they had for the show. That was their idea. <laughs> <laughs> this thing writes itself. I'm sorry. You get Adam West involved and on this show, and it, we'll go into that more in a few minutes, yeah. but it, it would have been a smash hit, I, in my opinion. One good thing about the show not being picked up is that Conan was able to find work as a writer on The Simpsons, and that gave us some great episodes, especially the very famous monorail episode, yeah. and uh, paved the way for him to return back to New York and be the longtime host of Late Night with Conan O'Brien. Of course, as Sean uh, mentioned, Adam West is the star of the show, playing Ty Lookwell, <laughs> the honorary detective that takes his role in the police force very, very seriously. Adam West is insanely near and dear to my heart because when I was growing up, there was a cartoon called Fairly Odd Parents, which is about this uh, kid who had, instead of parents, Fairly Odd Parents, which were these little sprites, magical sprites. Um, Cosmo and Wanda. Yes! So you're <laughs> familiar with the show. <laughs> I am, yes. Adam West uh, voiced Catman, who was a, I think, a mockery of Batman with, you know, this tactical belt with kitty litter on it. So hearing his voice brought back this flash flood of childhood Sunday mornings. Uh, I was going to say, too, just talking about Adam West, the man is, in my opinion, especially after watching this, he's a genius. A really a genius that is not appreciated enough in his field in my opinion i remember talking about where he first saw adam west and his influence on our lives i unfortunately have to go back a little further in lily um so our age difference but <laughs> i remember seeing the reruns in the early 80s of the his most famous role arguably batman the 1966 batman show with him and burt ward and just the actors in that show were amazing Cesar Romero, who else was on that? Julie Newmar. Frank Gorshin was always my favorite Riddler. They even had Vincent Price as Egghead. Yes, yeah, I remember that episode. Yeah, and they had a movie based on the show. And most people, when you hear of Adam West, the name Adam West, you first think of Batman. He's Batman. Yes. Just a such silly Batman. The show, the Batman show, which we'll have to do in a later episode is just so comic-like that the camera angles were very mid-60s weird. He had the special effects sounds and the pows and the thunks <laughs> and everything in there and the, the catchphrases. It was just, that's really got me at a young age into wanting to learn more about Batman. 
and therefore going into comic books and reading about Batman and delving into more other superheroes. So really a big influence um, in my early life was was Adam West and, and Burt Ward. Yeah, same here. I, my first introduction into the work of Adam West was definitely through Batman. When the uh, FX network came on the air, I believe in 1995, Batman was one of their probably cheap programming that they aired quite a bit, and that's when I really got a chance to to watch the series. And it's important to note that as silly and campy as Batman the 60s series was, Adam West played that role very seriously. Oh yeah, he was, he was totally into it. Just like I believe he played this role in Lookwell, he really got into it, I, I think. And Batman was... He was trying to be the uh, the Dark Knight. Well, I guess you can call that Batman Batman version of Dark Knight. Lavender Knight. Lavender Knight. <laughs> everything. I one thing I cracked up about that show was everything was named Bat. You know, there was the Bat yes. phone, the Bat computer, the Bat microscope. I mean, everything had Bat and prefix in front of the it. Bat Bat. Bat Bat. <laughs> bat mace, Bat rope. You know. Yep. But he was very serious, and I even read um, an article, maybe on Wikipedia, about Adam West that when they were casting for the 1989 redo of the Batman movie that starred Michael Keaton as Batman, he seriously wanted that role to, to play <laughs> Bruce Wayne and Batman in, in that Batman version, which would have been hilarious, and I should have done it. Oh, definitely. That would have been funny. But I, I think they turned him down. And he also had another role, I think, as Thomas Wayne, or he was going to be Thomas Wayne. Maybe in that movie or another movie in the flashback scene. So, very into Batman. Yeah, you mentioned Thomas Wayne. He actually did do the voice of Thomas Wayne later on in a lot of the Batman cartoon series. He did do the voice of Batman in a lot of the Super Friends uh, series as well. I was doing some digging on IMDb because, you know, when you think of Adam West today, I know most people think of the mayor of Quahog on uh, Family Guy. I wanted to see where else Adam West had played himself. On IMDb, it's not always clear. I have at least 18 confirmed times that he has played himself. That would be 16 times on uh, television shows and two movies. Um, I'm not going to list them all, but of course, Family Guy and The Simpsons and The Ben Stiller Show, The Critic, Murphy Brown, News Radio, King of Queens, 30 Rock. So it's just pretty funny that uh, Adam West... As great as he is playing his roles, he's also turned his own identity into uh, a great character as well. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing. I didn't actually know what he looked like until I watched Look Well. Because <laughs> I'd only hear, heard his voice in uh, animation. And he, he doesn't look that much different today. He's still uh, holding up well. He's held up pretty well, yeah. He could really take a joke on himself, too. I mean, to play that his role in Family Guy, where he plays... You know himself as mayor of Colhog as a, basically an insane person. Yes. Um, <laughs> and he does it with humor. It's interesting. I was looking at his Wikipedia site also, and it mentions that you know Batman the the show ended I think in sixty eight or sixty nine. He actually made a living for a number of years in the early seventies being Batman. Uh, he him and Burt Ward, you know, they did personal appearances as Batman and Robin before he could get any other work at that time, did some um, public service announcements as Batman, and really jumped into the role. It kind of reminded me of, if you remember the old Adventures of Superman show mm -hmm. back in the 50s, George Reeves. Yes. And if you hear the rumors about George Reeves, I'm not sure if they're true or not, but he was a gentleman who also got very into, into the role of being Superman, even to the point of near insanity. Uh, you know, he was basically Superman. 
It reminded me of Adam West and how he really wants to be Batman. He's into the whole Batman thing, being Batman, and he even was honored by DC Comics. Got an award for being Batman, I believe. Or Honorary on, Batman. On the, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so when I was watching Look Well, I mean, one thing that really struck me was I could see Adam West in his real life being this character as he was in the show at, with Batman. <laughs> I could yeah. see him going to the Los Angeles Police Department, where he, he lives, and saying, I see there's this, this murderer out there, the serial killer. I can help you with this, because I was played Batman. I was a detective. <laughs> I, I wonder how close that is to reality for Adam West at this point. I don't know. And uh, by the way, he is 86 years of age 86, at the time of this recording. Yes. 86. 86. Yep. All right, so let's uh, get right into the show. We're given the open. Look Well, of course, is the eponymous one last name detective show. This uh, harkens back to a time in television, certainly before Lily and probably mostly before Sean and myself, although I think we did have Columbo in our era. But uh, this was a time when there was there was Banachek, there was Beretta, there was Mannix, there was... Uh, Rockford Files, uh, Kojak. There was a lot of detective shows, you know, with a, the last name was the title. Of course, Lookwell himself played Bannigan, which we'll get into, but it really uh, is a satirical take on this detective theme brought to life in the early 90s. Oh, there was just tons of shows, like you said, back in the late 70s, early 80s, these detective cop shows. Even going to Chips and things like that. That was a big rage. Yeah. Uh, Miami Vice. It's still extremely popular. You've got Law and Order. I can't tell you how many times I've asked my stepfather to change the channel because I've already seen this episode of Law and Order <laughs> Special Victims Unit 18 times. You know who uh, directed eight episodes of Law and Order? Who? E.W. Swackhammer. Ah. Oh, there we go. And I think the main difference between a show like Law and Order and um, early 80s Columbo, 70s Columbo, is that there wasn't so much of the grime, I guess you can say, that you see in Law and Order. Mm -hmm. It was more of a, a campy type of cop show with a predictable, which we'll get into with, with uh, Look Well, predictable themes and predictable plots every time and how the case would be solved. It, it was really qu kind of funny and campy if you looked at it. And we'll go into more of that in a, a few minutes. Oh, it's worth noting, too, the episode that we've all watched is the YouTube uh, episode. It was uh, originally recorded, whoever uploaded it, off the Trio Network, which is a, a channel that ended in the year 2006. This was aired as part of its brilliant but canceled block, in which they showed a lot of television shows that either reached the pilot stage or only aired a few episodes. And for some reason, Trio aired the Lookwell pilot that's different from the original airing. There are some different takes and some different cuts. The one that we're watching starts with uh, Adam West breaking through the police tape. I don't believe that's how it aired in uh, July of 1991, but from what I've read, this is the preferred version by Robert Smigel when he airs it at different festivals and shows, so at least we got the good cut. Yeah, I've, I've, um, I've heard that they aired a different version for some sort of music copyright. At least that's what it's rumored to be, that they couldn't show certain scenes because they didn't have complete and full rights to some aspects of the film. That's what okay. I saw too, yeah. All right, so that makes perfect sense. We open here with Ty Lookwell at an audition for Happy Days, The Next Generation. Which, I I'm telling you, I heard that, I cracked up, <laughs> and I thought to myself, what a great show idea they should do. 
In reality, Happy Days Next Generation should be a real show on TV right now. Just like Star Trek Next Generation took place 100 years or so after you know, Star Trek, the original series, Happy Days Next Generation should take place 80 to 90 years after Happy Days. <laughs> so in the mid-2040s in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, with the Fonz, or the Fonz's great-great-grandchild, what a genius idea this is. Why they never go off with this pilot is beyond me. Uh, well, there is a Happy Days cartoon show that ran very briefly, and it did feature uh, spaceships and time travel. That did not do so well. That can also be found on YouTube. Oh, it's a cartoon. <laughs> <laughs> Next episode, friends. So here, uh, Ty Lookwell is very immersed in his character. We see that early on, right away, that he is very uh, immersed in any role that he's going for. He is talking with a couple of young admirers that uh, recognize him from television, but he only wants to be addressed as Bez McCool in his uh, Fonzie uniform. <laughs> yeah, with the, definitely with the uh, haircut. The hairdo is very funny, and the, the ill-fitting leather jacket was... Uh... <laughs> It was quite hilarious in that. And the first time we see in the show, which happens a few times, trying to figure out exactly where Ty, what show he played on. And I forget what the other ones they mentioned. They ask if he was Banachek. He mentioned, no, that was George Papard. I was Bannigan. They said, was it Brannigan? And he said, no, that was Hugh O'Brien. And he said, well, oh, you were the one with the black secretary. He said, no, that was Mannix. <laughs> and uh, he mentioned uh, he had a sheepdog. <laughs> he was Bannigan, the guy with the sheepdog. Yeah, that was, that was pretty funny. <laughs> And they go, oh, right. So he gives some advice and he drives away in his luxury automobile. Of course, we see that he just rented his luxury car for the audition to keep up his image. I was trying to figure out what kind of car that was. I think it was like an MG or a Triumph or something. I don't even think it was that luxurious, as you can yeah. say. I expected to see like a Jag or something when he first backed up. And then when they showed the shots of him driving down the, the highway, it definitely looked like a, a British-type automobile from the early 80s, late 70s. Uh, we see that uh, he probably could not afford their best vehicles. He tried to negotiate a cheaper rate, saying that he didn't rent it for the full two hours, and that the blinker made a click-click sound. <laughs> I was supposed to do that, sir. <laughs> trying to say he only spent an hour and 45 minutes so you know and the, the gentleman explained that he should they round up to the, the nearest hour and it's quite a conversation back and forth ty Lookwell stumbles upon some uh, cops that were talking to the owner of the luxury car rental place uh, mr alberti talking about a stolen car situation and of course ty Lookwell, playing a detective still thinks that he is a detective so he walks right up to the police officers to help with the investigation. Yeah, and the owner wasn't too thrilled with that. That's one <laughs> thing that cracks me up about all these scenes in Lookwell, is that this is reality, what these police officers are doing. This is the way it actually does work, questioning the owner. Every scene is like this, and you see this, you know, Lookwell coming in and trying to make it into this 1975 cop show with these, you know, he could just wander onto a crime scene, and, you know, he's the authority <laughs> figure. And they're just kind of looking at him like... What are you talking about? Your your, your mental case. <laughs> yeah. Very casually, funny. casually strolls up with his hands on his hips. So, you know what's going on here, boys? <laughs> <laughs> and Adam West again, a perfect choice for this character because he has such that voice and that presence that this defines who he is as an actor. It's really quite funny. Yes. So now Lookwell goes home. And uh, we see his housekeeper dusting what looks to be like a tin lunchbox or something. Some of his uh, belongings. One of my favorite lines comes up where she mentions to him that she could not get his favorite hairspray because it was discontinued. 
And he kind of looks away and says, those fools. (laughs) (laughs) I'm West White, those fools. Oh, and then he takes out a popsicle and starts to eat the popsicle. And it's, I was trying to get a glimpse of the box. And it was something about making your skin tighter was an after effect of the popsicle. (laughs) Yes, firm pops, they were called. Firm pops, yeah. yeah. The frozen treat that tightens your skin. You can see a couple of times he'll hold his hand under his chin to check the tightness of his face. He uh, checks his answering machine. Is it his nephew? His nephew, yeah. We never meet, unfortunately. No, that's probably something we would get later on in the series is uh, his nephew, Matt Conway. But for the time being, they're jointly using the answering machine for Ty Lookwell's acting workshop as well. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, we get a lot of messages here from people representing... uh, Francis Ford Coppola and Steven Spielberg, and they they love Matt Conway, and nothing for Ty Lookwell, so he's happy, because now he has plenty of time that he can watch his original show, Bannigan. I guess I'll just sit down and watch some TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. All, like, 30 VHS tapes. I think he had some reel-to-reels there, too, if I, remember, if I saw did. it correctly. Reel-to-reels and VHS. Yeah. All labeled Bannigan. Bannigan. How does he distinguish between the VHS tapes? Oh, he know, Bannigan knows. So we see uh, some early clips now of Bannigan, and it segues into the Ty Lookwell acting workshop where he's screening Bannigan for his students. From the his acting style in the episode they just watched, he has them perform a scene from King Lear. Yeah. <laughs> At the same time he's teaching class, the stolen car case is still on his mind. So when one of the students uses the word transport, he starts to <laughs> he starts to think. Yes, out loud. <laughs> transport, transport, yeah. Out of the country. He also says the great line, Used to play detective. Mine can't help but make deductions. <laughs> <laughs> and so, of course, he gets up right in the middle of class and leaves. He has important work to do. Goes down yes. to the L.A. Yeah. police station. So we see here uh, at the police station, Lookwell presents his honorary badge from 1972. It seems to be encased in uh, plastic with a plaque underneath. He pulls it out of his jacket. He always has it in his pocket. Seems like quite the object to be lugging around in an inside coat pocket. (laughs) (laughs) And here we meet uh, Detective Kennery, played by Ron Frazier. Ron Frazier was a, a longtime character actor. He was most famous for... The movies Presumed Innocent in 1990 and the movie Daryl in 1985, spelled D period, A period, R period, Y period, L period. I actually remember that movie and it was an experience. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Ron Fraser unfortunately passed away at the age of 64 on December 21st, 2003. And we find out that he's actually, his character was a technical advisor for um, Ty Lukwell's TV show. So that's how I have that. Uh, relationship and he saved him at this point and brought him into his his back office to talk to him and try to talk some sense into Ty about what he's doing so we get the feeling this has happened numerous times before the same kind of uh, experience yes in fact detective Kennery said I thought we had a talk about how you weren't needed around here (laughs) (laughs) so establishing that he's been meddling around the police station or meddling in their affairs quite a bit over the years and uh, he responds with, with all due respect, I did three episodes on this kind of thing. 
that uh, made me wonder whether he was referring to his show where he played Bannigan only lasted three episodes or there were only three episodes where he was deliberating inside a uh, police station. I, I tend to think it was three episodes on car theft. Yes. And, oh, okay. And it's such a cliche. A lot of these things that these theories that he comes up with are really cliches that you saw over and over again in these detective shows. Is it three theories in total he comes up with? Uh, I, I'm trying to think. Well, the first one we, we know is uh, the cars are being transported out of the country, being stolen yes. and transported out of the country, Yes, which is a common theme in a lot of these shows. You know, that's where they, they're exporting these cars. And then he was told, well, it make, wouldn't make any sense to export these cars out of the United States since they were all imports to begin with. Another great moment here is when he, he mentions they're stolen, or as we call them on the force, hot. <laughs> saying this right to the detective. <laughs> he's, he's the authority on cop slang. Yes, and he was very upset when Detective Kennery mentioned that they were imports. That was a, he was a very upset he wasn't told that crucial bit of information. How can we have this relationship between honorary uh, detectives and the police force if there's no communication? <laughs> and I think it's here where we get Lookwell dropping the very profound line from Shakespeare... How off the sight of means to do ill deeds makes ill deeds done. <laughs> it cracks me up. <laughs> that is from King John, or The Life and Death of King John by William Shakespeare, Act 4, Scene 2. Yeah. Of course, it just makes them roll their eyes or look at each other in confusion. And he leaves Detective Kennery's office with the great line, Remember this, gentlemen, I have a lot of free time. <laughs> I, 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 that was definitely a relatable quote, so... <laughs> Yes. <laughs> yes. So he slams the door behind him, and the show takes a commercial break. So why don't we take this opportunity to take a commercial break of our own, we'll pay some bills, and we'll be right back. Free immortality pills. Free immortality pills. Removes all illnesses in 25 seconds. Permanently reverses the aging process. Ever wish that was real? Well, if you're a boat, it kind of is. Hi, this is Skip Mitchell, owner of Discount Boat Repair Services on Chestnut Street. With a large array of repair and maintenance services, we can help make your boat running and looking like it did on the day you got it. This week, use any of our upholstery services and get a pair of our guaranteed-for-life heavy-duty floor mats, absolutely free. How do I know they'll last? I'm 910 years old. Hey, can I cut out that last part? No. All right, and we're back. And we're at this point, we're back from commercial on the show as well. We see uh, Ty Lookwell and some of his students at a L.A. restaurant with uh, headshots on, in the background. Uh, it's hard to make out in the video, but I can definitely see Bob Saget is one of them. You know, uh, people actually use Bob Saget's name as a cuss word. You stub your toe. Ah, Bob Saget! So here, Lookwell gets the idea that he should look up auto painting shops, because they're probably painting these cars and stashing them. So right away we cut to Carl Schwab's auto painting, and here we see Lookwell really taking his uh, detective role seriously. He's going undercover now, and he's all dressed up as what he thinks an auto painter would wear. From the 1940s, yeah, it was a perfect uh, <laughs> example of... When auto paint, I don't even know if that would be when all the painter would wear. It looked like a milkman outfit to me. It's almost like a gas station attendant uniform <laughs> yeah. from, like you said, the 40s or 50s. 
and he, he says he's an expert. His was his grand his father, his grandfather, his father's father's father. We're all auto painters. Yeah, all the way back to his great grandfather, which <laughs> I think would predate the automobile. Yes. And proceeds to spray paint the bumper of the car <laughs> to show his skill and says and they immediately say, Look, what are you doing? You know, because again, we're in reality where no one does that. And he says, oh, isn't that, you ever, haven't heard of this new new method of painting or is this new uh, trend? He said, it's all the rage in Minnesota. It's all, yeah, it's all <laughs> the rage in Minnesota. So he starts to have this weird cryptic conversation with uh, yeah. the guy from Carl Schwab, if it is Carl Schwab himself, and uh, another employee. And they start to not really understand what he's getting at. And he kind of thinks that they're alluding to the car theft ring. And it gets to the point where they really think that he's coming on to them. Yeah. <laughs> and he has no problem with it as long as he does a good job. It doesn't matter uh, yeah. his orientation. But then he starts to really seem to get aggressively coming on to them. <laughs> and we cut immediately back to Ty Lookwell's acting workshop where he is uh, wearing a black turtleneck and black sunglasses. And he mentions how he was beat up. <laughs> Another cliche of those detective shows where someone would say that, they would mention that type of thing to the guilty party. Just a, just a little hint of what they're talking about. And the person would automatically understand that this, this person's on to me. Uh, not the case in this situation, unfortunately, because yeah. they was not the right perpetrators of the crime, the car thefts. Just, again, very funny how they misinterpreted his advances and his remarks. To them. Yeah. And I was surprised w- at how the writing didn't take the... I was like, as soon as they started doing it, I'm like, oh, this is just going to be like another cheap joke. But the way they handled it, I was surprised. I was like, oh, that's not completely and totally offensive like I thought it was going to be. But the funniest part, I think, the best way they did it was to do the immediate jump cut, like you said, to the actor's workshop where he had the sunglasses on. <laughs> and the bandage on the forehead. <laughs> they, yeah, they even show that he got in a fight or was beaten up. Just jump to him being, you know trying to disguise his injuries. Very, very funny. And dropping the line, the working class mind is strange and unpredictable. <laughs> Which you can see Batman saying, definitely. Yes. <laughs> so, Look Well here has another epiphany from uh, hearing his students speak, and he gets the idea that because the L.A. Grand Prix is uh, going to be in the area, that must be where the car thieves are all going. We cut to the L.A. Grand Prix where Look Well is dressed as an very old-timey auto racer with goggles on his forehead. And he brings along one of his students, Jason, who he dresses up as a pit crew member. This is one of the, the best scenes for me in this show. Just the, the old-timey from the 1900s, the 1910s or so, with the goggles and the leather cap and the driving uh, you know, outfit. And again, just expecting to be let in on his pure, you know, just the fact he's a, he's a race car driver. And the fa- It looked more like a fighter pilot getup than a racing outfit with the leather cap. Yeah. <laughs> again, his whole idea of what a race car driver should look like, and the poor kid who is played by uh, Todd Field, Jason, who is really funny in this episode. Just, you know, not getting, not wanting to do this at all. Ty really pushing him to, okay, go go tell him this. Go tell him who I am. And again, another example for me of how reality is here, and they're trying to force their way into this normal reality where the guard's like, there's no way I'm letting you into this. (laughs) How do you think this was going to (laughs) work? And the character of Lookwell, not taking any role lightly, even gives himself a name, Dash Carlisle. (laughs) 
Oh, yeah, sure, Dash Carlisle. Come on in. You're a racer. <laughs> Obviously a racer. Yeah, with a name like Dash, yeah, you, you must drive be. cars. <laughs> Sean, earlier you mentioned that Jason here is played by Todd Field. Todd Field actually went on to become a three-time Academy Award nominee. He sure. was nominated in 2006 for Best Writing and Adapted Screenplay for Little Children, as well as Best Writing Based on Material Previously Produced or Published for In the Bedroom in 2001, as well as uh, In the Bedroom being nominated for Best Picture 2001. And for any of the younger crowd, or people probably around my generation or younger, he was the voice of Old Drippy, the mold character in Aqua Teen Hunger Force. Oh, I do see that here, yes. So a number, number of roles, yeah, and, and some pretty big movies. Radio Days, Twister. Yes. Yeah, so he's definitely an accomplished actor. Um, who knows how far he would have gone if uh, Oakwell had been picked up as a full series. <laughs> we can only wonder. <laughs> I can only wonder. So here, uh, Dash Carlisle and his pit crew member are refused entry, and he tells Jason, well, you know, your acting needs a little work. <laughs> So they immediately go to plan B, which is just trying to jump the fence. <laughs> which he makes about a quarter of the way up before he's tackled <laughs> yeah. by security guards. Again, thinking that this would work and he'll be able to get over and enter the uh, racing world. So we cut back to the police station. We see that Lookwell and Jason were arrested for this stunt. And Jason is getting pushed around by some inmates. We think that maybe something violent is happening, but then we find out that it was just trust exercises by <laughs> orchestrated by Ty Lookwell. And what, they, did, what did he mention about the convicts who were in there that they had? I forget who they men- he mentioned. He, he mentioned that they have a Forrest Tucker quality. Yes, Forrest Tucker. One of them says me, and he says both of you. <laughs> Forrest Tucker was uh, Sergeant O'Rourke from the classic television show F Troop, which if you go back and watch is not too culturally sensitive. Yeah. <laughs> oh, no. But if you look at Forrest Tucker, if you've ever seen him, those gentlemen have no Forrest Tucker qualities. <laughs> not at all. No. <laughs> So they are eventually bailed out. Jason mentions, uh, so this whole thing was a waste of time, and Lookwell drops the great line, you never waste time, Jason. Time, time wastes, wastes you. you. Yep. <laughs> he also drops the line, maybe Bob Conrad didn't take his honorary badge seriously, but I do. Bob Conrad, or most commonly known as Robert, played Jim West in the famous show Wild Wild West. I just thought that was funny that here was a another actor playing somebody with the last name West. Oh, yeah. Ah. So Lookwell's bailed out, and he decides to take some time to think and walk around in the park where he comes upon the statue of Shakespeare. And this looks like it might have been set up as, uh, you know, something that he will time and time again go to to think. His, uh, his sounding board for his, his thoughts and trying to figure out how the crime was perpetrated. Look well drops the line again, how off the sight of the means to do ill deeds makes ill deeds done, leaving us to believe that this is probably the only Shakespeare quote that he knows <laughs> offhand. <laughs> Thought that was great. And he, from this point, paces back and forth thinking about the case. For quite a while, it seems. You get the impression he was there for a while, chatting with William. So from here, he comes up with the new idea that the owners are stealing their own cars and collecting insurance money. Again, another cliche point from a lot of these shows. That this is what this was the aha moment. Oh, this is muscle film what was going on. Definitely something you could see Columbo formulating at some point. Yes, this is how it happened. So he decides he's going to confront Alberti, the owner of the luxury car rental place, at the homeless benefit. And this is the Santa Monica Foundation for the Homeless. And as the sign says underneath, they're everybody's problem. <laughs> yeah, Banner was very funny. 
For this mission, Lookwell decides to bring Jason yet again, who is now dressed as a valet, and Miss Royster, who is, she's only credited as Miss Royster in the credits yes. here. Who apparently Lookwell has this thing for constantly giving her flirtatious comments, but the age difference is ridiculous. Lookwell shows up. He decides he's going to go undercover as a homeless man. Of course, his idea of a homeless man is a very Emmett Kelly-style hobo. <laughs> with, with the whole bag and stick. <laughs> yeah, with the bindle and the handkerchief and the hat. He goes under the name Willie the Hobo for this mission. <laughs> and as he walks by the, the guests at the benefit, he says, Good evening, I live in the streets. Nice yeah. to be indoors. <laughs> I eat out of trash cans, homeless coming through. <laughs> Sleep on concrete. Yeah, hello An there. Asphalt. The sidewalk is my pillow. Yeah, the sidewalk is my pillow. <laughs> so he confronts Alberti, and of course, Alberti doesn't even remember him from earlier in the day or days previous. And Lookwell says back to him, pay no attention, I'm just a crazy old vagabond. <laughs> <laughs> like he's putting in, in him into some psychic trance. Yes. So Lookwell decides, well, they're going to go out. They're going to find Jason, who it looks appears that he had been working as a valet for this event. Even though he's undercover, he's still performing the duties of a valet while he's waiting. And they decide the new plan is to just hide in the back seat of Mr. Alberti's Black Jaguar. And this is my favorite scene in the show. The <laughs> fact that Ookwell, trying to be nonchalant, going to the back seat of this Jaguar and thinking that he's going to be able to pull off being not noticed in the backseat of this Jaguar as he fills up the entire backseat <laughs> to follow and entail Alberti back to the scene of the crime where the cars are being stored, it, it just cracks me up. He, he's gonna, he's the master of, uh, he thinks he's the master of disguise and the master of being able to hide himself. You know, if he even if he did come down to the car, he would have been spotted in two seconds, which he immediately is, he immediately is. <laughs> Again, reality, the guy's looking out and says, what are you guys doing near my car? Get away from my car. So at this point, Lookwell tells Jason that there was a change of plans. It orders everybody to get in. And uh, Jason, as we see, being the realist of this episode, is very reluctant to drive away because he would be stealing a car. That's committing but, a felony, yep. But Lookwell convinces him that he has to go. Believe me, I know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, technically, he's not even doing it, so. <laughs> and strangely, they're immediately followed by the police. And the police uh, begin shooting at them, which is quite amazing. <laughs> Lookwell uh, leans out of the window, turns to the police that are firing at them, and says, I'm not a car thief. I'm an actor. Follow me. <laughs> Trust me. I've got this. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so they drive through the fence at Easy Car Luxury Rentals, and the police uh, surround them along with Mr. Alberti. And as we saw earlier, when they were screening early episodes of Bannigan, Bannigan drops the line, you're going to do time. Hard time. So we see Lookwell confront Alberti, and he says, you're going to do time, Alberti. Hard time. All right, just for the sake of entertainment, I think we should all go around and say that line just as a cacophonous uh, <laughs> side here. You're saying if we, we were in our own cop show? Yes, you are Bannigan. Okay, you go first. You're going to do time, Alberti. Hard time. There. I feel like that, that, that was pretty uh, dramatic. Mm -hmm. Very good. Yeah. Scott, you want to go next or you want me to go next? You go next. You're going to do time, Alberti. Hard time. <laughs> Very nice. And I would say, you're going to do time, Alberti. Hard time. 
Got that kind of Clint Eastwood thing going on there, I think. <laughs> well, I couldn't say it the way I just said it a few moments ago. <laughs> that was awesome. So glad I, I <laughs> we took that time to do yes, that. Yes, that was definitely worth it. So anyway, just going back. So we find out that Alberti's car was part of a sting operation. That's why the police surrounded the vehicle so quickly and followed them. But Mr. Alberti realized that when Lookwell crashed through the gate, there was no alarm. And there was an employee there that said, oh, it's probably a malfunction. And he said, well, what are you even doing here after hours? And he says, oh, I'm just doing inventory. (laughs) At this point, before this this happened and the whole alarm thing, I was trying, I was looking at the time of how long the episode had left. And I was really trying to figure out how they're going to end this thing in in a good way. I'm like. There's, they only have a, a minute and a half left. There's no way they can end this and, uh, you know, have him be resolved where he gets out scot-free. And maybe that's the joke of the whole show. But like you said, this whole other, out of Lookwell's actions came this other realization that his employee, which I believe was the guy at the beginning, was that, was that correct in that? The, who gave Lookwell a hard time about the, the charging of the, of the car, the renting? Oh, you know what? I'm not sure. I think it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah the was. guy who's, who he's returning the car to. And then the guy out, tries to take off. Um, after he finds out he's been had. Yeah, immediately sees that he's been caught, so he just makes a break for it. <laughs> he says, there's your man, detective. <laughs> Another job well done by Lookwell. And of course, what does Lookwell do? He does the stereotypical Hollywood thing and leaves his headshot with the detective. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yes. If you need yeah, and again. the other cop's like, but technically, he thought the owner of the V... Vi- and then the, the head detective was like, no, it's not even worth just it. let it go. Even. <laughs> <laughs> Great, great premise for a series where this hapless guy, this actor who really got so immersed in the role of detective that he thinks he is one still after all these years. And he's just going to haphazardly or accidentally solve these crimes. This is so funny. Now, let me ask, I was thinking this question. If this had actually gone to a series, what are your views of what would each episode have been like? Where would this gone with a, a whole series or a whole season of this show? Anybody have any thoughts or ideas about this? Probably just like uh, your regular cop show. There's some other instance where he's dragged into and falsely guesses every single thing that happens, every advancement. But then finally, ultimately, through some fluke, leads them to the correct answer. I guess after a while it could be tiring, but I don't see how else uh, it could really be executed. Yeah. Yeah, you could see definitely early on they wanted to establish that he lives with his nephew, Matt, that he's running this little uh, acting workshop. And so we have a small stable of actors as students, especially Jason, who's like, you know, rolls his eyes constantly. And Miss Royster, who's like a young, eager actress trying to get work. And so we could see these characters assisting him, maybe because they think it's going to get them credit in the workshop or something. I would say any place where they can get the opportunity to dress up Adam West, they would uh, definitely do that. Yes, definitely. I, I was thinking very much in the same lines, that every episode would be exactly like this pilot. Um, he would never solve any crimes on his own merit, basically. It would always be him falling into the answer somehow. It reminded me a lot of Inspector Gadget, the cartoon <laughs> show from the 80s. Yeah. Where Inspector Gadget, if you've ever watched that show, and you should because it's, it's quite amazing, not the movies, though, they were, they were garbage. But the TV, the cartoon, where <laughs> Inspector Gadget was a an actual inspector, a detective, who didn't know what he was doing. And his <laughs> his niece, Penny, is the one who basically solved the crimes. And Inspector Gadget always got the, the credit 
for doing nothing because he was a complete buffoon. I, I think this is a very much that type of situation where we could have had the, um, again, the actor who played the detective. What was his name again? His uh, Ron Fraser played yes. Detective Kennery. De- detective Kennery. De- detective Kennery would have kind of been involved with this and, and kind of gotten the credit and, and or knew that if he followed around high enough, Ty would, would come to the solution of the problem just by falling into it. And that's the way he could solve these crimes. I think that would have been a pretty funny spin on it. You know, him trying to deal with the commissioner, basically, and not seem like that's how he's actually solving the crimes. Definitely a funny premise. And unfortunately, they didn't jump on this series. And again, at least give it a a season or half a season, a few episodes besides this one pilot. Well, this this definitely went on to become a cult classic. IMDb, it's uh, given a fan rating of 8.7 out of 10. It's certainly something that a lot of other um, famous comedians and writers really looked upon as, uh, you know, one of these great shows, like brilliant shows that just never found an audience. As Lily said earlier, they threw every joke that they could possibly throw in, so who knows if it could sustain a full season. I just wanted to mention to you that it aired somewhere the week of July 22nd to 28th. In the Nielsen ratings, it ranked 92nd out of 92 shows. (laughs) I did read that. Oh, man. 2.3 million homes. Conan O'Brien jokingly stated that when the pilot aired, it was the second lowest rated television show of all time. It's tied with a test pattern that they show in Nova Scotia. Which is a very funny quote by yeah, Conan O'Brien. <laughs> One other thing, I just saw this, I didn't see his trivia before, but we talked about his love for Shakespeare, Ty's love, and it's actually mentioned that in his house there is a bust of Shakespeare that is an exact duplicate of the one that is in Wayne Manor in the Batman series. Nice. And if you remember, does anybody recall, Lily, you probably haven't seen this, but what did that bust do in Wayne Manor? When they lifted up the head, inside was a button, and that opened up a a wall panel, and there were two bat poles that uh, somehow dressed them as they entered the bat cave. And they spun down, they were pre-dressed. I mean, I could have guessed that. (laughs) And they were called bat poles, yeah, I believe. And I remember the button was a big red conspicuous button, wasn't it, In in the bust of Shakespeare? It might have been too. Yeah, they had a giant red bat phone as well. Yeah, that's one yeah. of those connected to Commissioner Gordon. And everything is labeled bat stuff too. I'm going back to the Batman. I'm just thinking <laughs> about that. Like the bat computer had a big sign on it that said bat computer. Oh yeah, everything was labeled for the audience. <laughs> they would forget that it was the bat computer. I mean, a strange form of pig Latin where you put bat before every word. Yeah. <laughs> Identify it. It's Batman's thing. It's his. In doing research for this, I, I it mentioned that Conan really loved Adam West, and at this point, like I mentioned to you all the times Adam West played himself, all of those times were mid to late 90s into the early 2000s. There, this was really, as Sean brought out, a, a dull point in Adam West's career, and Conan really wanted to write something that would bring him back. Conan had a very weird, interesting connection to uh, to Adam West, in the, the book The War for Late Night by Bill Carter, it's mentioned about Conan's early days in Chicago where he was the roommate of uh, comedian Jeff Garland. Often to entertain themselves, they would set up their own fake talk show where Conan would interview Jeff Garland as George Takei. And Jeff Garland would play Adam West. So George Takei's two guests were Jeff Garland playing Adam West and Jeff Garland playing himself. And Jeff Garland does a pretty good Adam West impression. And all Jeff Garland did was ask Adam West about residual checks. That's all it was about. 
And so this was just kind of a weird thing that these guys, these young guys would do to uh, entertain themselves in their uh, sweltering unair conditioned apartment. Who knew, like, all those years later that Conan would uh, get to put Adam West in a pilot episode of a show. So the credits roll in the episode, and it's pretty great because we get an extra look at Lookwell sitting there watching himself in an episode of Bannigan. We get the Bannigan, uh, I think we get some sound effects and music, while he eats a firm pop. That's, that's where it ends. I, this is a show that I've seen uh, many times before, and I've always, I've always loved Conan's work, and this really always made me laugh. What did you guys think, watching it for the first time? I thought it was absolutely hilarious. I loved the fact Adam West was the lead role. I didn't immediately notice anyone else of note from the episode itself. I didn't recognize any of the actors or actresses. So I was like, oh, this show was written for Adam West as I'm watching the whole thing. Yeah. But uh, it was very funny. I guess some of the humor, you know, goes over my head with older shows like this because I wasn't around in the decade and don't have as much knowledge. I, I kind of wish it was made into a TV series. I would I would watch it. Same here. Yeah, I, I have the same thoughts. I thought it was an excellent, excellent pilot. And unfortunate that it didn't go any further, at least to a TV movie even, or a TV series. Very much someone referred it or compared it to the Naked Gun uh, series. Oh, Police Squad, yeah. Police Squad, yes. And that, that's very true. It could have been something like that. A bit of a resurgence for Adam West. Um, unfortunately, it didn't, it didn't go anywhere, but it definitely was an, an excellent. I'm glad to have watched it. I will watch it again before it's time, I think. Maybe definitely before it's time. A few years later. I think 1991 was not a good time fit for this show. No laugh track either. Yeah, it was very unique, and you could definitely see the, the, the comedy genius of not only Conan O'Brien, but also Adam West. Being, being Adam West, I think. Again, unfortunate. At least we have the pilot we can watch. Maybe they'll remake it someday with another actor. I don't know who could fill Adam West's shoes in this. but It'd be tough. It would be tough. It would be tough to find somebody who is Adam West, basically. But again, it's encouraged me to go back and watch Batman of 1966. Just to see more of Adam West. What he's yeah. most famous for. And those that, that is a hilarious show if you've never watched that Batman series. At the time of this recording, there just came out a uh, a box set, Blu-ray box set of Batman, the, the 60s series. And if you don't have the money to shell out for that, which I understand, if you get the channel IFC, it runs uh, fairly frequently right now on IFC. So please, yeah, like, a, like Sean said, check out some episodes. It's really great. Especially the ones with Joker played by Cesar Romero. I mean, Scott had a discussion about this not too <laughs> yes. long ago. Or if you, if you look at Joker, Cesar Romero, he did not want to shave his mustache for the role of Joker. So they basically just put white makeup over his entire face and his mustache. So you can see his mustache <laughs> is still there. It's pretty obvious. Yes. <laughs> but he's trying to hide. But he plays a very good Joker, I gotta say. He's, he's one of my favorites. My favorite skit in that show, which is reoccurring, is when they're climbing up the wall. Batman and Robin. <laughs> and obviously they're not climbing up a wall they're going horizontally but they film they flip the film so it looks like they're climbing vertically up a wall and there's always a guest star that pops their head out of one of the windows as they're going by yes and those are just if you, i'm sure they're on youtube if you youtube them you got sammy davis jr just popping his head out and talking to batman and robin green hornet and kato once also popped out for a television crossover they didn't help but they said hello oh how you doing yeah up the wall <laughs> 
and definitely just an excellent series. Adam West Best. There's also a number of documentaries, I believe, written about this Adam West in general, and also about the Batman show. Burt Ward has a book about it, his experiences. Really the start of anyone's Batman fascination or comic fascination can be started with the Batman TV show. Great for adults and kids. Yes. So this aired in 1991, and Adam West interviewed 22 years later, 2013, still said that Lookwell was his favorite pilot. That's quite the compliment. Yeah, when yeah. you only have a few of them, it's not that hard to pick, probably, but <laughs> I could see where he... They said he got very much into the... bought into the whole Lookwell, and, and was really hoping it would become a series. In fact, uh, according to... This is a quote from Robert Smigel. He said, I remember one day he ran into our office and he was wearing shorts and a straw hat, but not as a gag. And he announced, I've got it. He was dancing on air. He told us that he had been walking on the beach and he thought about everything and he finally understood the part. He had cracked the code kind of like Batman would. He knew exactly what we wanted to do and he was exuberant. He was like a kid. (laughs) That's from the book. And here's the kicker. Conversations with 21 top humor writers on their craft. Telling you, he thinks he's Batman. (laughs) <laughs> even now all right well i think that's gonna do it for this episode as we wrap up i just want to mention a few things we tweeted to graham linehan last week thanking him for the brilliance of the it crowd which we reviewed and he thanked the show back so that's kind of our first celebrity acknowledgement other than dame judy dench also you'd probably wouldn't be hearing us right now if it wasn't for the kind assistance of nick Prevenis, host of the side streets podcast Uh, Nick does a great show about things related to comedy and music out of Tucson, Arizona. And uh, I highly recommend that you uh, listen to his show, especially his interview with the great Tom Sharpling. So just want to say thank you very much, Nick, for all your help. Thank you, Nick, for all your help. Yes, thank you, Nick. And as always, you can email us with your comments, suggestions, chocolate chip cookie recipes, whatever you got, at hittingplayshow at gmail.com. Yeah, we'll uh, we'll uh, rate your cookies for an episode. <laughs> Just kidding. One cup but... broken glass. <laughs> and if Adam West would like to have an interview on the podcast, we'd be more than happy to talk to you and reenact scenes from Lookwell. We would love to do that. Yeah, hit us up. Yeah, hit us up. I think we all got that line down pretty good that we practiced earlier. <laughs> <I> mean... <laughs> Also, you can always talk to us on Twitter. We are at Hitting Play. That's H-I-T-T-I-N-G-P-L-A-Y. Would you guys like to plug your own Twitter accounts? Sure. I do a silly YouTube thing revolved around gaming. Not so much TV shows or anything like that. But that's mainly what's on my Twitter. So my Twitter is at LilyPution22. And is that the name of your YouTube channel as well? Yes, yeah, that is also the name of my YouTube channel, LilyPution22. So look her up, especially if you're into gaming. Yes. Sean, what's, uh, you got anything to plug? Uh, no, not today. Plugless. I am plugless. I'm on Twitter, at MC and Friends, and as well as uh, MC and Friends on Vine. You can check me out there. As most of you know, if you're probably listening to this, we are now on iTunes. So if you can, please subscribe and leave us a five-star review. It uh, definitely helps us out and uh, we'll give you a shout out on the show for your troubles. All right, well, we have been Lily, Sean, and Scott. And thank you so much for listening. And remember, how off the site to do ill deeds makes ill deeds done. That's good advice for anyone. Mm-hmm.